0: Hi, I'm Lucas. And I'm Brian. And this is the Quacks Podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Quacks Podcast. So I have another interview for you today with Tim Berzins. And I want to give you a quick heads up that this episode gets a little complex. It's going to be really great for people who want to start upping their knowledge of how the body actually works. So just to kind of... Give you a little background. When I talk to people in health food stores, and they begin to describe, you know, their issues, oftentimes I don't understand the lens that they see things through. Uh, they might be into Chinese medicine and describe you know, different body meridians, or they might be into the detox mentality, which we've talked about here on the podcast before. That's when people think, you know, there's bad things in them, heavy metals or fats or whatever. And they're taking supplements to kind of get that bad stuff out. And, you know, the more bad stuff they get out, the better, more healthy they are. Whatever their language, you know, they often have these heuristics and shortcuts they lean on to determine whether something is healthy or not. And Tim is basically introducing a system called the bioenergetic model. And it's based on some really good science from renowned researchers like Gilbert Ling, Ray Peet, uh Otto Warburg. And so basically, the model treats metabolic energy as a good thing and things that lower metabolic energy as a bad thing. It's really a fascinating viewpoint that you know, it's it's a direct antithesis to kind of the detox mentality that gets a lot of people in the natural world in trouble. So, if it seems over your head or not that interesting, do you feel free to fast forward to the end where I can give you a quick summary that you may find helpful. Otherwise, enjoy. So, hi there, everybody. I am here with uh, Tim Burzens from Amplified Vitality, who you know he has a great YouTube channel and uh, a monthly newsletter through Patreon that we're going to mention here at the end. But uh, Tim, thanks for being on so much today, and uh, how are you doing?
1: Yeah, I'm doing well. I'm excited to be here. Um, I always love having these really good chats about deeper physiology and nutrition, and it always sparks some new ideas and just has some amazing you know, information and content that I think is good for, for both of us and good for everyone listening, so it's a win-win.
0: Yeah, well, you have some some great videos on YouTube that really go into depth, and so why don't we start off with you kind of giving just us an introduction on how you got into health and what it is you do.
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, so, you know, I, I've always been into health throughout my entire life. You know, I, rem- I remember coming home from, you know, elementary school, talking about how the heart worked and everything and, and just being so enthralled with that. So it's always been a part of my life. Um, and then, you know, started getting into fitness pretty hard during like high school, college years and everything, studied nutritional sciences uh, in college. And then, uh, you know, after that, basically in the attempt to get, in really good shape pushed my body a little bit too hard and when I say a little bit too hard I mean like doing three to four high intensity interval sessions a week doing three to four weightlifting sessions on top of that surfing regularly and then doing uh, playing drums in a band for three nights a week like literally to the point that it was like way too much activity all on about 1200 calories a day almost zero carbs and doing intermittent fasting and needless to say that just led to an extreme burnout I remember one night not being able to sleep because, you know, of course, I had insomnia from doing, you know, from pushing the body too hard, Uh, being covered in blankets in the middle of the summer with the windows open and being shivering cold because of how low my metabolism had gotten. And so basically after that, I noticed that my body just wouldn't lose fat anymore, no matter how much I tried. Uh, You know, there's a certain point in in starvation when your body starts to take over. And it's actually an interesting experience that your willpower will, you only have so much willpower, eventually the body's going to win, it's going to tell you, you need to eat some food, and it's going to kind of force you to do that. Um, but then, you know, after that, I couldn't lose weight on 2000 calories, whereas some of my friends would be losing weight on something like 3000 calories. So eventually, you know, I, I kind of stopped listening to the talking heads in the fitness world, saying that calories were all that matters. And, you know, kind of accusing you that if you're not, uh, losing weight on this amount of calories, then you're probably not check, tracking them accurately, and all this stuff. Um, and so, I started to get into some of the metabolism work, which included um, some people like Matt Stone and Dr. Ray Pete and Danny Roddy, and all of that information just opened my eyes to an entirely new world of physiology. And uh, you know, as as tough as it is, I'm I'm thankful for that adversity that kind of pushed me into into this direction, so that I could you know, start to learn this stuff and have my, my eyes open to a brand new world. So since then, I've been uh, helping people uh, understand some of the deeper physiology. Um, I I like to see I really see these things in an in, in image form in my mind. And so when I do that, I kind of just try to describe what I'm seeing to other people. And uh, it, it tends to come across pretty well where people can understand what I'm saying. So uh, my my effort now is to pretty much help to teach and educate people on, some of the deeper physiology and nutrition, how the body works, um, how they can solve their own problems, but of course, all with a complete open mind that we're always evolving, we're always moving into new fields of research, new understanding of things, um, never collapsing onto the information and thinking that in a dogmatic way that this is all we know and therefore that's what that's what is, but rather an evolving model where we're constantly learning, constantly adding to to the total and and moving forward uh, as a whole. So. Um, yeah, so that's that's what I do on Amplified Vitality, and I uh, coach some clients with that as well.
0: Cool. Yeah, I actually had a very similar experience where I was working a job uh, in retail, like running around for nine hours a day, just like really, really like lifting heavy objects, and then after work I would go swim a mile. And very similar story of just of totally burning out and having your metabolism kind of just say, "Yeah, I'm done." But but you mentioned metabolism and in your videos you've mentioned you kind of have this overarching theory called uh, bioenergetic view or, or something along those lines. What is that?
1: The uh, So the bioenergetic bioenerge- view is basically an understanding that the the structure and the function of any organism depends on the flow of energy through it. And if you have a higher flow of energy through an organism, you're going to have a different structure and a different function than if you reduce that energy flow into a lower state. Okay, And so from a, from an evolutionary perspective, this makes a lot of sense, right? Because we can look at bacterial anaerobes, which we probably could say is the first living form of life that we know of. You know, millions of years ago, this was the only form of life present. And they used uh, a very basic form of glycolytic metabolism that uh, was very inefficient and very, you know, basically a, a cheaper way of c- producing energy. As the structure started to evolve into more complex forms, there needed to be a higher way of producing energy. And that's when, you know, aerobic respiration started to come in using oxygen in order to break down glucose for much more energy than it is able to be produced from it when uh, oxygen is not present. And so basically, like, there's a a big theory around how this happened, whether there was, um, you know, like the mitochondria could have actually been a separate bacteria that was symbiotically absorbed by another bacteria, and that was the first mitochondria that was ever created. Um, Regardless of all that, though, the mitochondria is responsible for the respiration. And so when you're creating a higher amount of energy through respiration, through using oxygen, breaking down glucose, uh, you're able to organize more complex systems. And eventually that led to the most complex organism we know of, which is the human being. And so when we're in this state where we require a lot of energy to have all the complex functions of the human body working and online, then... If any hit to that system will desynchronize that coherent unit that normally functions together in a, very, uh, in a very smooth way, in a very unified way. And when that happens, that's when disease starts to come on. That's when we start to basically de-evolve back into previous forms of life because we're no longer producing the energy that is able to, to maintain that stable form in this complex structure
0: so what you're basically saying is energy is flowing through us our mitochondria they're creating energy and the health of the organism depends on how much energy is being created and if that energy drops then we kind of regress to a lower life form i mean is that kind of what you're saying
1: In essence, yeah. I mean, it's not like, obviously, we're not actually like mutating and all this stuff. But we'll become amoebas. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, becoming amoebas. Uh, But cancer cells, if you think about how they work, a cancer cell is basically a cell that is disconnected from the fact that it's a part of a total organism. And so it takes more than it needs and it grows more than is good for the entire organism, not realizing that the cell is actually killing the very thing that's allowing it to live in the first place. So this is that desynchronization I was talking about. It's all the different cells start to revert into a more selfish mindset of, you know, there's not enough energy, so I need to try to take what I can and hold on to what I can, rather than in the abundant state when there's plenty of energy, uh, all the cells can freely give, freely play their role as a part of the unified total organism. And of course, there's implications here. If we want to zoom out to a bigger level, we can look at how uh, people in society act and you know, society is the organism that collectively allows all of us to exist. And if we didn't have, um, you know, if if a a person is selfish and tries to take more than they have because they're not connected to the fact that they're a part of the whole, then they, you know, will do things that will hurt the the entire organism. And right now we're at a stage of evolution collectively where that's starting to happen on a global scale where we're seeing we got to change the way we're doing things or we're going to end up destroying all of
0: us. That's really interesting. Almost like excuse me, almost like uh, the micro and the macro are kind of uh, in in the same way playing out a different, uh, the same play, I should say.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, so it's there, always patterns, it's repeating patterns in every at every level that you look at.
0: So how does this change kind of people's thinking compared to the mainstream idea of health? Like how do they think of health versus this bioenergetic view?
1: Yeah, um, I think the the biggest shift... For most people, is away from viewing the body as just a simple machine and food as just a simple fuel. Um, you know, there's a lot of analogies about you know a car fueling up your car, and uh, and even analogies saying that if you had a Ferrari, you wouldn't want to fill it up with cheap gas; you'd want to put the best you know premium gas in it, kind of thing. Yep, I've heard but that. But all of that is, yeah, but all of that's still very simplistic because our bodies are are not just some machine that you put energy into or or not. You know, that almost implies that if you put in too much gas in your car, it gets stored as, you know, quote unquote fat. And then if you want to lose that fat, you just give it less gas so that it uses that stored fat. But that's very, very far from the actual complexities and nuances of the human body and how the human body works. The way that I would much prefer to look at it and and makes a lot more sense to me is that all of your cells individually hold a certain amount of charge similar to a battery And they're communicating to each other all the time based on their energy status. When you're eating food, that's energetic food molecule particles that could be used to convert into that actual potential energy that we see as a stored charge within the cellular battery, or those food particles can be stored for a later time so that they could end up getting broken down and being used as electrical charge. So in that sense if you had someone who had 100% charge and they're converting all of their food into into energy then they could be eating double or triple what someone else who was only 50% charge and they're holding on to all the food food molecule, molecules and not gain not gaining any fat while the 50% charge person would be gaining tons of fat trying to hold on to it and of course if you're if you're at 50% charge of all your cells they're communicating at times are not good we do not have energy so shut down all the complex functions You know, we don't need to worry about uh, bolstering up the quality of our skin, hair, and nails. We don't need to worry about digestion. We don't need to worry about sex drive or abstract thinking. We're in survival mode. You know, we need to hold on to energy as much as we can. And then on the opposite side, you have the abundance state where cells are in 100% and they're saying, hey, times are good. Let's do all that stuff, that maintenance and repair, that longevity stuff. Let's do all that stuff because we have plenty of energy and times are good. The, the issue that I see is that we're in this weird crossroads right now where in the past that scarcity state would have been matched by the external environment being scarce in food and the abundant state would have been abundant in food as well. We're in this weird place where we have an abundance of food and yet we're sending the scarcity signal within our body. So we're getting this weird situation of the charge of the cells is remaining at 50% or lower and at the same time we're eating enough food that it's getting stored as fat Body, the body's holding on to it, thinking that it's going to need it because it's afraid that you know there's not that times aren't good and there's not enough energy. So it's it's a very interesting thing, but but ultimately to to get back to the the point of the question, I really think that people need to understand that it's not as simple as just you know adding or subtracting calories, or you know even I think it leads to ideas like the keto diet where it's it's, it's this idea that you can just cut out carbs and lose fat, and that's that's the simple answer to everything. When really there's a lot more going on.
0: So yeah, let's talk about like losing fat, losing weight, because that's obviously a huge part of what people are are into today. And and you had a video where you talk about adrenaline and how uh, exposure to adrenaline can kind of hurt your ability to lose weight. How does that work?
1: Yeah. Um, well, so you know, most people think of fat loss as fat burning, uh, and they're 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 not necessarily the same thing. But I think that. In general, we don't really want to be fat burners so much, at least not in our organ tissue. The muscles are pretty good at burning fat, so I think that there it can be fine. But what actually happens when we "quote unquote" burn fat or break down fat from uh, adipose tissue is that the stress hormone adrenaline rises uh, in the the because of some perceived threat, and so uh, in doing so, it holds on to the high octane fuel, which is glucose for the cells that actually need it, the most important cells, which are things like red blood cells and brain cells and you know other really, really important cells. And so the adrenaline comes out, breaks down the fat from the fat tissue, releasing free fatty acids into the blood. Those free fatty acids now compete with glucose to get into the cells, which is basically to say it lowers your glucose sensitivity. And ultimately, it's doing that for a good reason. It's trying to hold on to the glucose because the glucose is so important for those cells. It's trying to preserve it and protect the organism. Um, Again, you know, the problem is that we have an environment where we're eating lots and lots of glucose, and yet we're still releasing lots of adrenaline that's causing the free fatty acids to block the uptake of glucose. That's where we get insulin resistance. That's where we get diabetes. And of course, that's connected to metabolic syndrome and all of the other diseases that we see. So it's not necessarily something that we we don't really want to be burning fat, but then the question becomes, how do you actually lose fat? And uh, I think there are some pretty interesting things regarding uh, VLDL and LDL, which are basically um, protein bubbles that carry cholesterol and fat throughout the body. And so if we understand that free fatty acids are competing with glucose, and yet these protein bubbles can transport fat around in the body without competing with glucose, we can understand that fat can, A be used as a structural component for cell, rebuilding cell membranes and for you know um, DNA and RNA and all the other things that the cell needs to do, uh, or it can be taken into the muscles where it can get stored as intramuscular triglycerides, and then the muscles can burn them without actually releasing the fat into the bloodstream as free fatty acids. So therefore, you're not really affecting your glucose tolerance anymore, but you're still able to burn off the fat in, in a different way.
0: So, 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 I mean, <clears throat> so basically, just to sum it up, adrenaline is breaking down the fat in your adipose tissues and this is releasing fat into your bloodstream and that's not a good thing, correct?
1: Right, exactly. Okay,
0: yeah. and, and an alternative to that is uh, LDL, VLDL uh, or cholesterol, basically grabbing fat and delivering it to where it's supposed to be.
1: Yep, exactly. That's exactly right. And, and that can happen both from the liver, which can store fat or from adipose tissue. And either one can export their fat into LDL and VLDL. Um, but it requires enough protein and it requires enough choline in order to do that, which is why I, I typically recommend. I, I personally like eggs. I think they're, they have a very important part in uh, nutrition because they have a lot of choline. They have a lot of good protein in them. Um, but another option would be something like beef liver or calf liver, which has a lot of choline as well.
0: Yeah, so so how does it how do these ways that people lose weight, how does it fit into that model, like keto and carnivore and that kind of thing?
1: Yeah, I mean, so so keto and carnivore are obviously very low carb. Um, and I think the the way that most people approach it is, okay, my glucose sensitivity is poor. So if I just remove glucose, then I don't have to worry about the fact that I don't have glucose sensitivity. And it's sort of like a, a band-aid solution way of looking at things because the real problem is that your body isn't able to burn glucose. And when we you know, go back to what we were just talking about, the energetic flow through the body and how glucose is the high octane fuel and aerobic respiration of glucose, which is the proper glucose metabolism, is the metabolism that produces the most energy and uh, charges the cell to the greatest degree. If your glucose metabolism isn't good, then just avoiding carbs isn't really going to fix the problem. Yes, you're not going to have the high blood glucose that's going to end up causing, you know, inflammation and fat gain and things like that. But you still haven't fixed the problem that you're not converting the glucose well into fuel. So I think with people like uh, people going on keto and carnivore, they'll see some short term fat loss, mostly because they're releasing a lot of adrenaline, a lot of cortisol. Those catecholamines feel really good in the short term, but they're sort of like chipping away at the integrity and the structure of the organism on the whole so uh, almost everyone, all the clients that come to me say that they've come off of keto or carnivore or raw vegan or any of these diets and had some sort of autoimmune condition come on after, you know, a couple months of doing the, the diet. And the, the main reason is because those stress hormones just chip away at the integrity of your organism.
0: Interesting. So you, you really wouldn't be a fan of, of these new keto carnivore low carb things. You think they're actually like bad for you?
1: Well, so it's interesting because I think if you're going to go the low carb route, if you go all the way low carb, like as low carb as you can to the point where you're producing ketones, then there is a protective effect from the ketones that actually makes it more okay. But I still don't see that as the optimal diet. I see that as if your body absolutely needs to in an extreme starvation case, you know, like if you're in a, if you were, you know, in a really scarce environment where there just wasn't enough food, and you were living basically in starvation mode with actual low amounts of foods for for months, ketones would be very, very protective and would actually help your organism survive for much longer, um, and actually promote a, a higher energy charge so that you'd be able to find food when it was available, but. Why would we want to mimic that state in a in pursuit of health when that's clearly a, a very strong adaptive survival mechanism? It, it's better than doing some weird in-between uh, where you know like your glucose sensitivity is terrible and yet you're still eating lots of carbs and just getting inflamed and causing you know heart to deb- beat heart disease and exasperating diabetes. Like that's obviously not good either. So I think keto could be a step up from there. But ultimately, those stress hormones are going to be tearing down your organism. So it's still not really the best way to go about it. Um, I think a much better way is to focus more on quality carbs and more importantly, focus on your ability to convert that food into energy by improving your glucose metabolism.
0: Yeah, so you have this thing, I think, uh, called it's, it's a variation on intermittent fasting. And obviously, intermittent fasting is is super popular right now. And that's where you, you know, eat for eight hours and fast for 16 hours. So what do you think of intermittent fasting in this whole makeup? So, you know, in like
1: in comparison to other diets, I think intermittent fasting is is actually one of the better options. If you're healthy and you're able to recover from the stress of fasting, then I think it plays a very important role. The problem is that most people aren't necessarily balancing their stress responses appropriately And what they end up doing is fasting for too long, uh, not consuming enough calories during the feeding window, and then also doing things like fasted exercise, which is, you know, exercise alone is a stress, fasting is a stress. And when you combine them, it's not a 1 plus 1 equals 2, it's a 1 plus 1 equals 3. The stress is actually far more enhanced because you're, you're not fueling your body while you're doing the exercise. Again, nothing wrong with that. Stress is a really, really important part of life. It helps to make the organism more resilient. It helps to cause adaptations. You know like you don't grow muscle, you don't get stronger unless you put it under stress.: Definitely, the point is, though, that the point is though that you want to heal from that stress. you want to recover from that stress, which means that you want to balance it. And ultimately, you want to balance it in favor of healing, because if you don't, then you're not actually going to make those adaptations. And what happens too easily with intermittent fasting is that people push it too hard too far. And then they end up decreasing the metabolic functioning of their body. And when you're in that low metabolism state, you're so sensitive to stress because you have such a little capacity of energy to be spending that to be spending it on this one thing is going to just completely wipe you out. Um, You know, I've used this analogy before that, you know, say you say the maximum is like 100 percent. If you're at 5 percent on a regular basis and working out a a hard workout would would cost you 5 percent of your energy. Well, now you're going to be going back to zero every single day when you work out. You're going to have no energy at all. Whereas if you reinvest that energy back into you, the next day you'd have 10 percent. The next day you'd have 15 or 20. And then on and on it goes until you actually bring the charge back up to a stable place where you're at 80 percent charge. Well, if you have to spend 5 percent charge on a workout, well, that's nothing. That's that only brings you back down to 75 and you can easily bounce back from that. So it's ultimately a matter of shifting things in the direction of healing. And if you have a past where you've overdone the stress, then you need to spend more time healing in a very focused way so that you can actually bring your body back up to the place where it can now handle that stress again.
0: Gotcha. So you said that intermittent fasting is probably better than some of the other things that people are doing. What makes it better? You know What what is good about it for, for people who don't really know?
1: I think that... Uh, I think that fasting alone has some really interesting benefits to it. Um, One of the the areas that has interested me is uh, endotoxins and gut bacteria. And it makes sense to me that generally we don't want too much gut bacteria because it's supposed to be a symbiotic relationship, which means we want to have a diverse colonies of bacteria that are all pretty equally balanced within our gut microbiome, but also that aren't taking over our system. That uh, You know, there's a condition, small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, or SIBO, which is basically when the bacteria have started to take over the small intestine, and now they're eating the food before you eat the food, and then their metabolic byproducts, which are usually endotoxins or lactic acid, yeah. get released into the blood. And it's basically like, if you want to think about it, you're eating second. The resiliency and the adaptation of your body has made you beta to the bacteria in your gut, which are now overruling <laughs> you, and they're alpha, So it's kind of an interesting way to think about that.
0: Yeah, that is really interesting. And
1: and so I think fasting helps because it can starve off some of those bacteria, and it can help to keep those bacteria in balance and say, you know, you're you're not going to overgrow at any point. The question is, what state is your body in? Because if your body is overstressed, then, you know, fasting can ultimately be a step in the wrong direction. Um, There's also some other good things about it. You know, if you do have high uh, blood sugar, it can help to lower it. Um, but it's not something that I can say is a blanket statement because there's just there's so much nuance and com- complexity going on here.
0: Yeah, so what is your variation on it? You have a, a fruit variation on it.
1: I, I think it's uh yeah, so I think it like mitigates some of the problems with it. um where if you eat some fruit during the day, you help to prevent the the insulin resistance that can come from fasting. Um, you know, if you're eating any food, like you're gonna be increasing adrenaline, which means you're increasing free fatty acids. Those free fatty acids are competing with glucose. Therefore, you're not absorbing glucose well. And that's that entire cascade, which if that cascade of stress gets out of hand, that's when we move down into the poor metabolism state. So the way that I see it is that if you have a little bit of fruit, which contains really an amazing package of nutrients, you know, it has all the B vitamins that are required for the metabolism of glucose. It contains both glucose and fructose. And fructose, by the way, doesn't need insulin in order to be absorbed and utilized. Even in the face of high free fatty acids, it can spark the glucose metabolism because it goes straight to the liver and helps to restore liver glycogen and start that whole metabolism. Um, So it has glucose and fructose, which are both really, really good, fructose being the activator of glucose metabolism. And then it also has a lot of potassium. And most importantly, it has really good fiber. And so when we're talking about the gut again, the really good fiber will feed the right bacteria to help keep all of them in balance rather than feeding the bacteria that specifically produce those endotoxins and cause so much inflammation and weight gain. So I, I really like to have a couple pieces of fruit whenever I'm doing a short-term fast because I think it helps to mitigate some of the downsides while still allowing the body to be in that underfed state where it has a little bit of the uh, little more like cyclic AMP activation, which is kind of that the, the activator of things like stereotogenesis and things like that, whereas CGMP is more of the one that put, uh, is the is the uh, the realizer of that potential.
0: Yeah, interesting. I don't actually know much about uh, CGMP and those. Could you just like give really quick primer on what you're talking about with those?
1: Yeah, sure. So um, this is actually um, an idea that I had originally, I think, picked up from Ori Hofmeckler from the Warrior Diet way back when. Um, and he, he was basically going over the fact that when you're in an underfed state, which we could also liken to, you know, the stress cascade, you activate cyclic AMP, which is a an a, a, a part of a substance in a cell that actually activates the the mobilization of fuel and the use of fuel. And what that does is really it potentiates a lot of the really good stuff, which is like the steroid hormones um, <clears throat> and the uh And some of the healing processes, um, you know, sympathetic activation is connected to to uh, cyclic AMP. And all of all that does is it it sensitizes the the other side of the coin, which is the parasympathetic and the cyclic GMP. And so when when you have an underfed state followed by the overfed state, the overfed state is now potentiated from having eaten less food. So now all that food that you're eating is going to be used for much better purposes. And so, for example, cyclic AMP triggers steroidogenesis, it increases the, the, the um, activation of the signal for your body to produce testosterone. And then when you move into a place where you're actually eating more food, cyclic GMP follows out the, that signal and carries through that signal to actualize the increase in testosterone. Now, if, you, if you're always in the stress state and you're always activating C, uh, cyclic AMP, then you're constantly sending the signal, but you're never actually fulfilling the signal. Likewise, if you're always in the parasympathetic mode and you're always overeating and you're activating CGMP, well, now you're constantly in the state that could make use of the signal and actually create testosterone, but there's no signal coming because you're never in a state where that signals, hey, we need testosterone. So it's kind of this idea where you can imagine that the left foot, if you step with the left foot, you're potentiating a step for the right foot. Now the right foot is able to take a step that right foot takes a step, which now potentiates the left foot to take a step, and that's how you actually walk. That's how you move forward. So in that way, I think there's this under underfeeding, overfeeding, cyclical thing going on that kind of helps to move the organism forward, and ultimately, the strength and resilience and adaptations of the organism is gonna be based on the speed at which the organism is able to move. So when you're running, the step with the left foot allows the step with the right foot in a much bigger way than if you're walking, and so on and so forth.
0: So it'd almost be like, you need a little bit of stress to tell your body to make all of these uh hormones and then the relaxed state or the resting is what uses those hormones
1: yeah that's a pretty good way of putting it yeah exactly um and it's and you know i don't necessarily know that uh it's exactly in that way in the sense that you know cyclic amp sure i don't know that it's actually going to create the testosterone it might just be sending the signal to create it yeah yeah um but but from a from an, uh, a high level, um, you know, patternistic view of it, yeah, absolutely, that's correct.
0: Okay, so this fruit fasting, the fruit I am, uh, or you know, intermittent fasting. Tell me again how that relates to this process.
1: Um, yeah, so so intermittent fasting. This is kind of the argument for intermittent fasting in general is is having those the cycle of under eating, the cycle of overeating. Uh, the fruit comes in in that it helps to mitigate some of the stress that comes from excuse me, from having the, uh, the underfed state. So especially for someone who's very sensitive to stress, a full fasting period is probably going to be harder on their body than it's actually productive or effective. And so having some fruit during that time provides a little bit of carbs, keeps your liver glycogen full so that the organs can continue working at, at full speed without having any sort of shutdown. Um, you're providing some minerals. You're providing the fiber to keep the gut in check and it's all potentiating the overeating phase where you're having much more food and uh and you know because your gut it gut has been kept healthy through the fiber because the carb metabolism has kept, been kept high from things like fructose and glucose then when you go into the big meal you're able to make better use of all of that food and so in, in it's similar to intermittent fasting i think it's just a, a step more in the healing direction of it um and and not not everybody responds super well to including fruit during it. I think it has to do with where, where your body's at, if you're in a stress state or not. Some people do much better with their uh, blood sugar regulation, especially if that's an issue for them, by having, having a big breakfast, then doing intermit, uh, kind of an intermittent fruit fasting for the whole day up until dinner, and then dinner having another big meal.
0: Interesting. So, it's almost like fruit intermittent fasting is more for people who might be coming from a background of chronic illness, whereas intermittent fasting is really for those, you know, guys and girls who are trying to optimize performance. Would you, Is that accurate?
1: Yeah, I think it's probably pretty close. I would also say that, you know, most people who end up in a low, low metabolism stress state are those people who have, who wanted to be the optimizers, who wanted to be the ones who were making the body as strong as possible but took it too far because there wasn't a respect for the healing process and for the adaptation process um which ultimately comes from uh, you know I mean at the end of the day it's like well why did you want that in the first place because you know if you're going for something out of desperation you're more likely to overdo it whereas if you're doing it from a place of fulfillment then you're going to everything will be in alignment to the point where you're not overdoing anything
0: yeah that's really interesting because I know a lot of young guys and I'm I'm in some uh, chat groups with young guys you know 22 23 who are just you know jamming on anything they can they can find to try and optimize what they're doing you know taking different testosterone boosters rubbing things on their balls I mean it's it's it gets intense mm-hmm. you know uh and I'm you know 10 years beyond that point and it's like there is a growing respect for homeostasis and not pushing your body in one direction and that actually in fact pushing your body in one direction might make you better at one little aspect of something at the cost of you know so much more so much other processes your relationships your ability to communicate well all that stuff so i mean that that's a really interesting point yeah i think i think balance is key yeah for sure so a lot of your ideas, they come from uh, Dr. Ray Pete, who you mentioned before. Can you, I mean, I know he's really hard to summarize. He obviously has a lot of writing, but could you just like kind of give us a quick summary of him and, you know, maybe what you've gotten from him uh, the most? Yeah,
1: um, you know, so his view is is much more about holism, about the holistic view and not reductionism. Um, reductionism is very much here are the individual pieces of the machine, and if we know how each individual piece works, then we can predict the future because we know exactly what's going to happen in any sort of situation. Obviously, that's not how real life plays out. Things are always unknown. There's a a complex interaction and there's variability that nobody really knows how it happens. And the reason is because the, the sum total is more than just the parts and the parts are actually behaving the way they are because of the whole. So this holistic view of things changes the way that we understand, uh, you know, science and physiology, and it also takes out that dogma of we already know how it's all going to play out. Everything's predetermined and fatalistic. Um, that that clearly isn't how it is. Things are moldable and things are always changing. So scientists have looked for that final building block, the the genes, you know, the genetic theory that these genes will predict exactly how everything's going to go down in your life and you don't have any control over it. But what we're seeing now, which is much more in alignment with how you know, Ray Pete's talking, is that the whole is much different. Or the whole is much more important than the parts, not necessarily much more important, but uh, you can't exclude the whole just because you understand all the individual parts. Um, and so basically what that's saying is that the genes aren't just creating things, but they're also reading things from the environment. So a lot of times, uh, a lot of scientists have believed for a long time that DNA could only convert, could only transcribe to RNA, which we t- could only transcribe to the proteins. They didn't realize that the proteins can actually influence the RNA, and the RNA can actually influence and change the DNA. So the genetics are not stable and stuck in any certain way. There's a much more fluid structure going on here. So that's the kind of basic approach that he started with, was which helped him to understand more that. A lot of the conclusions that people have come to in science were based on maybe certain things that they knew from the way that the parts interacted, but it it excluded the view of the whole. And so that led into more of that idea of how the energy flows through the system is, you know, influencing the the organism on the whole, therefore helping to direct how the parts within the organism behave, helping to uh, synchronize them, so to speak. Because, I mean, if you think about all your cells pointing in different directions, well, You know, you're not going to be able to, you're not going to be effective. You're not going to be able to do anything. If the organism as a whole is able to polarize all of the cells to do the same thing at the same time, well, now you're a unified organism. Now you have health. Now you have effectiveness and abilities.
0: Interesting. So do you think, do you find any area that you think he's wrong in?
1: Uh, So I really like his high, his high level thinking on things when he, like the stuff that I was just describing about holism. I think that some of the, Specific recommendations uh, could not necessarily are wrong, but they could be improved upon or could be opened up to discussion because uh, a lot of people don't necessarily find results from that. And so, ultimately, you know, the theory might be great, but if it's not working out in the real world, then something else is going on. So, I know a lot of people. I know a lot of people who have had amazing results with his advice. I know a lot of other people who theoretically should have had amazing results and did not have amazing results. So it's kind of one of those things that I think needs to be looked at a little deeper and understood on a better context.
0: Yeah. So for people who don't know, you know, he recommends uh, sometimes a liquid diet of like orange juice and milk. Uh, He also talks a lot about certain fibers you should eat and you know, staying away from uh, certain types of fat and that kind of thing. And I was, you know, one of those ones who, who adopted some of his strategies. And I found, you know, for the most part that they, they did not help me much. That as I tried to improve metabolism it was almost like the body fought back and was like nah we're not going to do that so it seems kind of like if you're healthy you know sometimes they work great but if you're not healthy you can end up creating more stress hormones hormones um and not increasing metabolism so is that, is that something you've seen quite a bit of or uh, just here and there
1: yeah sort of i think it depends on the specific situation because um so for example one of ray pete's recommendations is to eat a lot of sugar um, and when when we say sugar, we he does include fructose in that. Um, I think fructose is a very powerful activator of glucose metabolism, and it plays an important role within our diet. But I don't think that going to excessive levels of it is a good idea. Um, there's just too much evidence showing that it can it, it leads to fatty liver disease. It can dysregulate the microbiome and a lot of other things. And so, uh, you know, I, I just don't think that some of those recommendations are are good. Having said that, I've also heard plenty of stories of people who are hypothyroid who actually cured their hypothyroidism from having a lot of lot of sugar. I have a couple clients now who are actually doing really, really well on high sugar, and yet I have a couple other clients who cannot tolerate sugar at all. So it's it's very much about the individual uh, circumstances of the person and where they're at. Um, I don't think it's something that could be a blanket statement. I do think, like you said, that a healthy person would probably respond pretty well to a lot of the recommendations um, certain unhealthy people would be able to respond very well to those recommendations, whereas other ones need to look a little deeper under the hood to understand what their specific condition is.
0: Yeah, so you, you mentioned you coach clients. Do you have any stories about maybe how this intermittent fruit fasting has worked for them?
1: Uh, yeah, so I have one client who uh, had a has a very mysterious illness reaction happening. Um, where it, his body kind of collapses and and his skin flushes and things like that, and uh, for a lot of the exper- diet experiments we had, we couldn't figure out you know what to do. We we're I, I like to run diet experiments, so I like to try something for a week and see how you respond, gain the data from that, then let's try something else based on the results that we got. And basically jump around until we can find something that's working for you. Nice. So that can that can include some some gut protocols, things with uh, activated charcoal and carrots. It can uh, include the intermittent fruit fasting, like we just talked about. Um, but what we found with him, and uh, <laughs> funny enough, he actually uh, he actually started doing some of this because of the the um, documentary Game Changers on Netflix, um, was uh, to decrease the amount of protein and and the amount of starches and just focus solely on fruit, and that actually has been working really well for curing this mysterious illness that, you know, I really can't find what it is that that is happening, why this is happening. And so um, by doing something that's a much more intermittent fruit fasting style, or even full, you know, a full fasting for three days just eating fruit, um, he's found that he's able to actually improve that illness. Having said that, you know, I have other clients who absolutely did not do well with doing intermittent fruit fasting. It just did not work for them. They felt tired. They felt ravenous. And so for those people, it's like, okay, well, then something else is going on. Let's let's figure out what's happening here. So that's why it's really hard to give blanket recommendations for any of these things because it's always about the individual circumstances.
0: Yeah. What do you usually find clients are coming to you for? Is there kind of a specific category that people are coming to try and fix something? Are you seeing athletes? Are you seeing chronically ill people?
1: Yeah, it's, it's a, it's a lot of people from the repeat community. Um, you know, I'm still getting started. So a lot of people who know me are knowing me from, from there. And so a lot of them tend to be people who have autoimmune diseases or mystery illnesses, um, or, or even just fatigue and tiredness and they need to, they need to improve. Um, a lot of them are are already indoctrinated with a lot of the ideas. They understand, um, you know, how a lot of this stuff works. It's just a matter of actually having the guidance to figure out um, what needs to change and how things need to improve. Um, having said that, I also include in, in my sessions a very strong mental component because uh, while all of this stuff is really great to look at as far as like nutritional sciences and chemistry goes – Ultimately, at the end of the day, the hard line is your thinking. If your thinking is always negative, you're going to be eating the perfect diet and you're not going to be getting results from it because you're, the, the brain controls the body. And if you're continuing to uh, perpetuate these thoughts of victimhood and learned helplessness and, um, you know, I'm so terrible and, you know, everyone's wrong and everyone's blaming, you know, I can blame everyone for everything. Those kind of thoughts literally just spiral you down into this place that. I mean, first of all, to a place where you don't even want to take care of yourself. You don't want to, um, to eat right and to exercise and to get sunlight and all those things. And even if you on the surface decided that you want to, there would be this unconscious self-sabotaging happening below the surface where you would be unconsciously blinding yourself to the solutions that would actually help you because ultimately you're continuing to, to want to be a victim. As long as you continue to want to be a victim, you'll unconsciously find events and circumstances that will put you into that victimhood place. So I think that one of the most important things is to lift the mind out of that thinking by starting to become aware, starting to to use meditation and awareness exercises, using recognition exercises to start becoming aware of what you're thinking. And instead of trying to fight that thinking and think differently, just allow it to be there within the space and then simply choose differently. Because the more you fight it, the more attention you give it and the and the stronger it's going to get. Mm. If you start placing your attention more on what is wanted and less on what is not wanted, then you'll naturally start to cultivate a better mindset that will lift those blocks that blind you to the solutions to your problem. Like I said, so many people have so many different problems and it's it can be a, a drop in a bucket to try to figure out what's actually going on with each person. And again, if they're unconsciously blinding themselves and self-sabotaging, then, you know, as a coach, there's almost nothing I can do because they're they're going to continue to find ways to, to screw up the results. Whereas if you're in that good mind state and you truly do love your body, you truly do want to take care of yourself and all of your intentions are aligned to become healthy in that way. Not from desperation, not from trying to prove something to the outside world, but just from within because of the the internal love you have for your body and for your mind. From that place, the solutions will appear for you. You wouldn't even need a coach at that point. The solutions would just drop into your lap, and these revelations would come to you at different times. You're laying in bed at night, and this revelation will come to you about, oh, this is what's going on. I understand that. And so at the end of the day, that's underlying all of your habits, all of your behaviors, all of your nutritional strategies. So to me, I can't leave that out of the discussion when we're talking about health and nutrition.
0: Yeah, I think that's awesome because, like you said, a lot of times people will just hyper-focus on the nutritional aspect of it and kind of put their, you know, their mindset aside. So, you know, you mentioned in one of your videos that serotonin kind of closes your perception down and dopamine kind of opens your perception up. And and while you were talking, I was thinking about that. And I'm curious, do you ever use anything to kind of kickstart that process of opening their minds up to different possibilities? You know, do you use herbs or drugs or anything like that?
1: Um, I've tried some of the anti-serotonin drugs and the pro, pro-dopamine drugs. So things like... Um, uh, ciproheptadine was one that I tried. Um, lyseride was another one, um, and lyseride a pro dopamine, whereas ciproheptadine is an anti Um, it's hard to say because that was a very, it was an interesting point in my life. So I don't necessarily know what I can blame on the drugs and what I can, bl- can blame on, you know, external circumstances or just the growth and evolution I had to go through. Personally, um, I, I didn't, I didn't feel great results from any sort of drug and I don't really, uh, I don't really want to recommend people taking drugs like that. I do think that some of the consciousness altering drugs can be very powerful for opening the window into a a higher perception of reality that if you are not never exposed to that perception, then you might not know that something like that exists and you won't know that you can actually go and, and and create that. Um, Whereas, So I think some of those drugs can be used as a a very uh, uh, limited therapeutic value, but I don't think they should be relied on by any means. Um, A a way that I would kind of translate this back into a simpler form is uh, when you drink alcohol, you feel your inhibitions are lowered. You feel relaxed. You can kind of, you you know, social anxieties go away. You can talk to people and and have a good time. Uh, That state is in 100% entirely achievable without alcohol. Hmm. But if you didn't if you were always anxious your entire life and had no idea that that even existed, yeah. then having your having your first drink would put you in this state where you're like, "Oh, I can actually be cool and chill and, and fun and talkative." And then when you come back out of that, obviously you're going to go right back into your social anxieties, but now that you know that exists, you can start to focus on thinking more like that without the alcohol and therefore create more of that Uh, Ability to enjoy it without having to rely on the chemical substance.
0: Yeah, I've actually really noticed that sometimes, like, using something to see what it feels like, what a certain state feels like, is really good at getting your direction. So, similar to you, I've used a dopamine agonist before, uh, just to see how it felt, and then afterwards, I was able to structure my life in a way where you know, I, I produced more dopamine, I had more meaning in my life. But I think if I would have continued to use that dopamine agonist, you know, high, high dopamine levels forever, they kind of shut your heart down. I mean, it, it makes it harder to um, bond with other people if you're always goal oriented and, and, and trying to, uh, you know, kind of scratch that itch. And I know similarly, there's a guy online on the Ray P forum who talks about using testosterone in a really high dose once or twice you know, to get the feel of what really high doses of testosterone feel like for a man who, oh, wow. who might not have ever felt that. And once you feel it, you can go, oh, wow, this is what's possible. This is what, you know, a high high testosterone state is like. And then they can kind of direct their life to do that.
1: That's awesome. That's really interesting. I've never thought about that on, on the plane of testosterone.
0: Yeah. I mean, I know probably there are many guys out there who uh, were raised uh, playing video games and never going outside. Who've maybe never even felt what a lot of testosterone is like.
1: Yeah, for sure.
0: So what uh, what's you know what's next for you? What are you up to these days?
1: Yeah, so um, I'm continuing to put out videos and and you know I'm always researching into different rabbit holes based on whatever speaks to me at the time. Um, I, I'm really trying to understand things on the deepest plane that I can, so that I can. But, but not only understand them on the deepest plane, but also be able to translate, translate that back up to the surface level for a layperson to understand in a very simplified way what's happening, why it's happening, what they can do to actually make some changes within their life. So I love the nutrition and the science. Um, I, I love having these new insights that spark for me. And then I love sharing them on my YouTube channel. That's uh, really a big focus for me right now. But in addition to that, there's been so much growth within consciousness and awareness for me within the past couple of years that I have seen things that I know absolutely to be true and that need to be shared with people, with the world. Um, And so part of my focus is also tying in the consciousness aspect
0: with the nutrition. Can you give us a little taste of that, like what, what things you're talking about?
1: Yeah, of course. I mean, uh, even just the idea that of uh, waking up to the fact that the person is really just an extension of you, you are really the space in which the person exists. And so, you know, we've heard a lot of these things from if anyone's familiar with spiritual works like um, Eckhart Tolle or uh, Anthony de Mello yep. or any mm-hmm. of those kind of people, uh, you've been exposed to some of these ideas. And so the, the concept of those ideas are very cool if you want, if you, you know, kind of can understand that just just on the intellectual level. But from the experiential level, what you'll end up finding as you practice this and as you become more and more aware, uh, which really means you become less and less identified with the thoughts and emotions and the person, you know, the actual person, your name. You become less identified as that, but instead can see it from a completely external position now you're open to a place where you're not going to collapse onto the this small selfish gain that you might get from something. And what you end up finding is that that small selfish gain that you would get is actually what blinds you from getting it in the first place. So, for example, someone who wants to be in really good shape. Well, if they were to really do a, an internal inquiry and go down to the really root cause of why do you want to be in shape? A lot of people would want, want that because they want the approval from others. They want to feel like they belong and that they have worth. And so they're placing all of their worth and their desirability into the state of their body. And so they're going to work hard, work hard, work hard to get to the point where now they're on the beach and somebody of the opposite gender or, or somebody who is attracted, who they're attracted to, looks at them and, and gives them this like, oh, you're attractive. And now they get this quick little hit of, oh, wow, that's so cool. I, I finally fulfilled this, this worth and this desirability. And then two seconds later, they go right back to being the same person that they were before uh, and basically completely losing that worth and that desirability. Mm. What they end up what you'll end up finding as you continue going down this this path is that when you place your worth and and value outside of yourself and look for others to confirm it for external circumstances and situations to confirm it, then you're always going to be at the mercy of the external world. You're always going to be a slave to the external world, and you're going to be imprisoned by your mind. When you start to take your power back, what you find is that you can be happy all day long, no matter what's going on in the outside world. And the most amazing part about this is that some of the things that you really want, you're going to find that you actually don't want them. You're actually just placing all of your worth into this thing that you've been conditioned to believe in. And when you come out of it, you're like, that's way too much. That That's a big hassle for a small reward. I really do not want that. Other things that you do want, you'll find that you do still want them, except now you don't want them from a place of needingness. Now you don't want them from a place of fulfilling your worth or your value. But instead, you're going to actually want them and enjoy them for the quality of the thing itself. So in a case of fitness, for example, you're actually cheapening and Uh, one dimensionalizing the act of being or the the state of being in good fitness and good health by putting all your worth into it and and only wanting it because it's going to make you feel good when other people look at you a certain way. When you come out of that and you enjoy being healthy and being fit for its own sake there, it's a rich tapestry of this appreciation and joy for the state that you're able to give to your body and this this love that you have for a uh, high functioning system and for being as effective as you can and for being able to share that with others and help the world it's this outflow of energy from from within to the outside world giving to the outside world rather than this taking inward flow of energy where you're trying to take this joy from the from the outside world i've likened it to the difference between a sun and a black hole the sun is always giving light giving 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 to the outside world it doesn't need anything and so because of that, it shines in its brightness and joy and love. A black hole tries to take and it sucks and it sucks and it sucks. And it never really truly feels fulfilled because there's always this hole in the center that could never be filled by anything in the external world. It can only be filled by, by switching that magnetic polarity from an inward flow of energy to an outward flow of energy. And you do that by starting to appreciate things for the things themselves and not because of what they can do for you.
0: Well, I think that's a great place to, uh, to stop. We're, we're at almost an hour. So where can people find your content and how can they get in contact with you if, you want, if they want coaching?
1: Yeah. Um, so uh, my YouTube channel is Amplified Vitality. Um, you can check me out there. If you uh, are interested in coaching or anything, you can either hit me up um, on there or on my Patreon account, which is also Amplified Vitality. On my Patreon account, I do a monthly newsletter. Um, every single month, I release a newsletter that contains a deep article around nutrition and physiology that helps people understand um, some of these inner workings on a on a much more complex but insightful uh, way. I have a Q and A Q&A section in there where I go, I take some questions that I've gotten each month, and I go into much more detail into basically full articles that answer the question and explore some of these deeper ideas cover uh research in a, in a big section there's a, a ton of different researches uh articles that i post and then i give my take on it and what i think that this, this means on the bigger picture and then i have i always have one article that's about this um awareness and consciousness kind of things and helping to expand that um obviously it's going to keep evolving as i continue to go but everyone who's on the newsletter now is loving it They're, i'm getting such great reviews from it so if you're interested in that you can go check that out um on my patreon account uh like i said amplified vitality um and uh, from there, yeah, if you want to do any coaching or anything like that, you can just hit me up, uh, message me there. Um, I'm also on Facebook and Instagram.
0: Awesome, Tim. Well, thank you so much for dropping some knowledge on us today and uh, really appreciate you coming on.
1: Yeah, thank you, man. I, I, I like doing podcasts all the time. So if you ever want to do another one, just let me know.
0: Hey, guys. So that was Tim with a lot of interesting information. We really got into the weeds on body processes and you know different hormones in this one. So I want to give you a quick summary for uh, some of the things we talked about for those who you know, may have missed the broad strokes. So the bioenergetic view of the body is unique from other views of the organism because it's basically saying that the more energy running through our system, the stronger the structure of that system. Now, energy and structure are interdependent. There are many things in life we deem normal, which the bioenergetic model would say are harmful. For example, x-rays in any amount or polyunsaturated fats and, and many other things. So using this view, Tim's criticism of normal diets is that they generally increase adrenaline and other stress hormones that harm our body's ability to make energy. So diets like keto and carnivore, they seem to work because they can lower blood sugar and lose us weight through adrenaline. But the adrenaline spike comes from those lower amounts of glucose in our body. And therefore, it doesn't address the actual problem we are trying to solve, namely that our body is having a metabolic slowdown. It's, it has an inability to process the glucose and generate energy. So using adrenaline to lose weight and lower blood sugar is a bit like burning the walls in your house down to stay warm. Now, Tim says there are some real benefits to intermittent fasting, namely lowering the amount of gut bacteria and getting some of the other fasting benefits that he mentioned. However, fasting can be stressful, especially to a system without much energy. So for some people, the stress of a diet overwhelms the benefits that come from fasting. Now, his variation is called fruit intermittent fasting, where you eat fruit throughout the day. In your uh, quote-unquote fasting window before eating the heavier meats and starches within the eating window. Now, I I really like this variation because stress hormones from the fast can lower the metabolism long-term and the fructose from the fruit will kind of keep the metabolism running. And I've definitely read some people online, you know, really enjoying the variation on intermittent fasting. So, it may be worth a shot. Uh, Tim goes on to talk about the importance of a positive mindset and then he tells some other stories. So I, I hope you enjoyed and gained value from this podcast. And if you did, please share to others and, and you know help our podcast get out there and grow. You can visit our website at www.quackspodcast.com. Now next week on Christmas, there will be no podcast release, but we will be back the following week at the beginning of 2020. And I want to thank everyone for their support this year in growing this podcast You know, I just want to thank the people who wrote in with topic suggestions and constructive criticism uh, to make the podcast better. We're always open to more of that. So feel free to write in. Uh, And I also want to thank Lisa in particular for the generous donation. And I also want to thank all the people on Facebook and other social media who shared the episodes that they found valuable. So Merry Christmas to everyone from the Quacks podcast and be well.